0: Welcome to Boundless Pursuit, a weekly podcast providing motivation, entertainment, and education to anglers and outdoorsmen. I hope that the stories you'll find here will encourage you to chase your passion more fervently, to open your mind to new opportunities and perspectives. Your engagement and feedback is critical to the growth of this show, and I would love to hear your suggestions on topics or potential guests. You can reach me at BoundlessPursuitFishing at gmail.com or at my website, www.Boundless-Pursuit.com. That's where you'll find all related articles, media, and merchandise. Please remember, the show will gain traction from your support. Be sure to like, comment, and share this podcast to your friends and connections. I'm your host, David Graham. Now let's get on to today's episode. My guest today is probably the most well traveled American angler I've ever had the pleasure of talking to. Steve Ryan is a walking, talking bucket list, and his catches and his writing have been featured in In Fisherman magazine and just about anywhere else you look. Because if you've spent any amount of time researching your most desired species of fish on the planet, you've probably run across photos or writing featuring Steve Ryan. And if you're like me, You found yourself online researching dream trips, and for whatever reason, it seems every time I search just about anything, I'm finding Steve's footprints there. So I reached out, because here's a guy that's been some places, and I want to pick his brain, because planning and executing these big, broad, ambitious trips is daunting and intimidating. So in this episode, we talk a lot about preparation, and Steve has been around in saltwater and freshwater. Giant trevallies, coral trout, dog tooth tuna, wahoos, triggerfish, and so many obscure species I've never even seen or heard of. I can't even count them all. And in freshwater, if you name it, he's caught it all around the globe. Anything from arapimas, jowl catfish, taraiba catfish, golden dorado, the gamut of the Amazon, basically. In Africa, he's caught tigerfish, Nile perch, he's caught giant snakeheads in Malaysia the hard-fighting Papuan bass of New Guinea, and more than I really even care to list. And here on the North American home front, he's already tackled gigantic white sturgeon, muskies, alligator gar, and salmon, but he's just as happy to go out and chase a hand-sized bluegill or a red ear. So I appreciate Steve coming on here between trips and during his downtime, just to give a few tips on preparation and planning of dream trips or just difficult trips. And so, if you like any kind of fishing, there's something in this conversation for you. This is Steve Ryan. But um, there you go. anyway, I need to knock on my wood table and make sure that that doesn't happen. But, guy, right, well, we pretty much just ease into this. So, Steve, I don't know if you have jet lag. You're one of those guys. It's very elusive. Because, like, dude, I'm telling you, it's like the, the culture, especially of like the yeah, traveling American angler. They're either few and far between or they just like exist in the shadows. And you never see them. But uh, it is like the travel thing has been eating at my like conscience and my soul as an angler for years. Like I've oh, I've just been chomping at the bit to get out and just get away and get to into the unfamiliar. And so during my process of doing that, you know, I I re- I researched these just obscure locations. That no one's ever heard of, and like type in fishing in, you know, some little country in West Africa, and without fail, some photo of Steve Ryan always pops up, holding these fish. Like, God, this guy's everywhere. Now I've I've followed you for a long time, but I I've like kind of gotten to a point where I'm like, this guy is like, you know, the ultimate travel angler. So I think this session will be more me picking your brains. And just getting some idea, like experienced input from somebody who's made successful travel arrangements and presumably some travel arrangements that weren't successful. And we'll touch on both just to give some insight because guys like me need to pick guys like your brains if you're willing to divulge. But um, I don't know if you're coming off recent travels. I see your photos. Um, are, you, are you on a brief stop home? Or are you just coming off a trip or is there something looming? Where are you I, at right uh, now? Well, all of the above. So yeah, well, well,
1: <laughs> well Thanks for those words. Um, I'm not <laughs> sure if all of them are warranted, but uh, but I do get around most definitely. Uh, sometimes you know pop up on the internet in the most interesting places or out of the blue places. Um, that happens with me as well. I just got back from a trip from the South Pacific and wanted to look up a certain species of snapper I had caught, and I had there's so many different snapper species. So I'm going through photos after photos after photos. And then I come up with a post of me holding that fish on a prior trip. And somebody reposted my photo saying, what fish is this? And somebody had responded to you about a year and a half before. So I found it very amusing. That was like two days ago. But to your yeah. direct <laughs> question now, yes, I'm, I'm just coming off a saltwater trip, hopping and jigging trip to a South Pacific, which was very successful. Oh. And then um, uh, I've got another one. Upcoming in January, and right before that, I was in uh, Argentina for Golden Dorado, and then before that somewhere else, and before that somewhere else.
0: Yeah, so like, you know, I mean,
1: it's rotation. It's not in here. I guess that's. I mean, that's the kicker too. I mean, if you search the internet or if you follow somebody's, you know, feeds and everything. You see all the big fish photos, and everything looks great, mm-hmm. and that's all they're doing—fishing giant fish. And they always seem like they're fishing; they're always seen their away. Um, Of course, it's not the case with anybody. That's not the case with me. But you yeah. do—you kind of see highlights of, of where I've been. Um, some years it's more on the international side, but uh, I'm always doing a lot of fishing uh, locally or, you know, regionally at least.
0: Yeah. Well, it's all, its always fun and easy to talk about the high points. I don't know, man. I actually a lot of times think it's more fun and more entertaining to ask about the low points because it's like, it, you know, it shows humility. It shows that you're realistic and it's more yeah. relatable because we all sure. fall flat on our face. You know what I mean? Um, sure. So we can get into some, some of the failures before too long. But when I look at a guy like you, who's constantly awesome. on the move,
2: mm-hmm. why start there? Yeah, let's start I'm at the bottom. Just, yeah. 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 yeah,
0: let's you get, get the bad stuff money. out of the yeah. way. Oh, oh man. Well, a, in, a, a, so it you humanizes this, this you.
2: This
0: yeah. <laughs> failures? Exactly. We're classes in session. You a little yeah. Oh, it's Yeah. How um, yeah. <laughs> don't start crying on camera. Uh, it might scare people away. I don't do well with tears. Um, oh, but no, man, um you know, it, it's. it uh, you know, at the risk of alienating people who have not done all these great things, I think it's, it's better to start backwards. You know, now I don't want to go through the whole, give me your life story. When did you start fishing? You know, everybody's origin story is usually pretty similar. Um, but at some point, I don't know, dude, like I know so many passionate anglers who who spend their entire lives. I don't want to say in like a box, but it's like the interest on like, what's on the other side is there. But I think there's just like, you know, there's like this internal struggle or like this fear. Uh, Oh, the money is not there. Or, oh, you know, I'll have to wait. Like at some point, I'm assuming you went from like, I don't want to say normal fisherman, but like a guy that fishes more in your backyard to having these ambitions to go abroad. Like, so when did the trips out of country, I guess, like start? I mean, where was your first one? what was the process of getting through that? I mean, maybe you travel abroad just for family vacations before that. So you'd already sort of, um,
1: Yeah, there were there no family vacations abroad. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll, go, I'll go very briefly origin story, but yeah. So fishing on my life, seriously fishing, you know, about the time I could walk mm-hmm. photos of me, whatever, two, three years old with the cane pole. I can remember those things. We had a camper. We would travel, you know, somewhat through the summertime, do rallies and everything. I can remember just briefly as a very young kid going to Florida to Disneyland, Disney World, and uh, do not recall a thing about the theme park, about Mickey Mouse, (laughs) anything else I remember catching a puffer fish from one of the canals there. I remember the <laughs> big toads in giant lots underneath the lights in the parking lots. Yeah. Know, where the so there, there were no international trips when I was a kid. You know, yeah. That was the extent of the travel we would do out of a, you know, a travel all camper with uh, you know, a family of six crammed in there You know, 10 hours at a time, 12 hours at a time between pit stops and everything else. <laughs> but, uh, so started at a very young age fishing just had a compulsion for it grew up in the midwest so the typical midwest species and then it and why that's important is because it kind of grew from there so you were familiar with certain species you wanted to catch the biggest ones of those species um if they didn't have them locally you know then it was going to a different state or then canada so you know that's Mm. not glamorous at this stage but it is international So those were the first trips probably as a young teen saved up for was able to do it with a group of guys, um, who would line up the trips. Um, my dad would go with, my dad was not a huge fisherman or anything else, but we would get to do, you know, one of those every other year or something like that, but a lot of local stuff. And then, yeah, finally, when I got working on my own, um, and saved up enough money, probably the first big, and then it was even, even beyond that, you know, it was all freshwater stuff living in the Midwest, and then it just simply went to saltwater. So it was, you know, a trip to Florida. So you had to catch, you know, a tarpon. That's the next big species so after yeah. you've done all the big freshwaters by by you. Um, and then it was, you know, permit. Then it was sharks. Then it was goliath groupers. It was goliath groupers. You know, on stand up gear on the wrecks way back when when you could actually land them and everything. This is going yeah. back in the <laughs> thirty years. Um, but that's the evolution. And then okay, now you've done those saltwater species. Well, you can't catch rooster fish here. You can't catch cubera snappers. You know, the marlin population isn't great out of Florida. So, you know, where do you go to then? So it was probably a bigger liveaboard operation out of Panama, Pesca, Panama, of Coiba Island. Um, that was probably one of my bigger, you know, international ones besides Canada. And then mm-hmm. it's, you know, where else can you go and where do you have the budget to do? So maybe it's Cabo. Um, and then it just grew from there, but then it was even just all the other, you know, big freshwater fish way back when. So it was doing white sturgeon, you know, on the Columbia, it was going down and doing alligator gar before anybody was guiding for alligator gar. Um, and just grew from there, you know, the big drum down in Louisiana. Um, it just kind of a snowball effect, you know, like what
0: was, was, you know, I think we're seeing a boom and people wanting to do like the monster fish thing or some of these different, you know. Maybe it's like the river monsters effect, but you know, obviously social media and, and the internet, like it, you know, it's all out there for you to see now. So it's like, well, what is that? But for, so how are you learning about, Nobody is doing it at this point. So like, are you looking at books, magazines? Yeah. What is the, like, what's the source of inspiration for a guy like you who who looks for the next target or stumbles across the next target to say, oh my gosh, yeah. what is that? And where can I find it?
1: Yeah and that's and I'm not sure how interesting that is but yeah that, that the I think the question is great as far as how things how much things are different now versus they were then. So now it's almost like going to Disney or, or doing an a la carte thing, okay, do you want the VIP pack VIP package at Disney, do you want to include Epcot in it? So that's how fishing packages are now. They're they're so easy to do with social yeah. media <laughs> and everything else and, and the internet. Um, so everything's available very easily. There's so many outfitters. There's so many booking agents, you know, you can, you can scroll through trips after trips. It's much easier to get references or just see how, you know, they did on their most recent trip, go back two, three, four, five five years on trips, yeah. which is fantastic. Um, but yes, back in the day, it was a whole lot lengthier process in order to do the research. It probably was more by, you know, as I think back, it's been so long, but it is. It's probably through magazines. Um, you hope to find some type of contact to talk to. But even then, it was more difficult uh, to have the conversations with people. It was long distance rates. Yeah. Internationally, you know, there's language barriers. Now you can just do Google Translate and everything else. Um, but it was. It was it was a struggle back then. And it was a big risk. It was you lined everything up. Maybe you wire transferred money to a location, and then you showed up at an international airport, you know, somewhere half around the halfway around the world, in hope that somebody showed up to greet you. You, you know, there was no right. <laughs> There's still a little <laughs> bit of that, but there was a whole lot of that back in the day. Yeah, <laughs> um, and I don't have horror stories really, but uh, but it was a whole different process. Um, like I said, is that good? Is that bad? I don't know. Actually, I think it's it's better now that all this information resources are that much more available. But it's not as much to me. It's not as much of the adventure on a lot of these. Then, uh, like yeah. I said, it's planned out. It's so programmed. It's whatever. Like I said, it's going to Disney World or it's doing a you know Norwegian Cruise Line thing. Looking through the cruise book and you've got whatever fifty different options. Which one do you want to pick? That's how kind of these vacation adventures have gone. Uh, But yes, to your point as well, people are doing it more, at least like the big freshwater species here in in the States. Mm -hmm. Um, But I still think there is, there's a hesitancy for U.S. anglers to travel abroad. And I'm not certain why that is, but I think Europeans have done it for so much longer. Um, The Japanese uh, have done it for so much longer than us. I think way more adventurous, tend to take more time to do it. Maybe, you know, it's because they have more vacation and everything else. But I think, um, you know, U.S. anglers are a little bit more cautious. Um, and I think they do. I think they want to be catered to more. Um, I think I've yeah. heard that from us as well. So there is more of a hesitation. But, yeah, you know, I guess taking you as an example, at some stage, you just have to do it. And then you can see how wonderful the experience is. And then that's probably all you want to do. It's where is the next one. Um, what can I explore next? You know, what, yeah. what is the experience out there?
0: Well, you sort of kind of touched on one of the, you know, I have so many questions that don't necessarily have definitive answers <clears throat> and that's okay. It's about getting sure. perceptions. You know what I mean? Cause that's one of the ones that always got to me and it's even within the United States too. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, you can say um, generally or uh, most American anglers don't want to travel outside the country <clears throat> or just aren't interested, not necessarily don't want to, But you can also say even within the country, even within their own geographic region, like within an hour from home, there's certain species that they don't want to touch. So it's like seems like a lot of things around here are more, I don't know, categorized and like, (laughs) you know, you don't know where that comes from. There's a a different culture thing, I guess. Uh, So I guess it's an impossible question to answer. Why are they are American anglers not doing it? But, uh, yeah, I don't,
1: I don't know either. And, you know, I think we are, I, th- I think this is beyond the fishing subject, I think we are kind of isolationists in general, you know, as, as Americans. I think we, mm-hmm. we've we got the two oceans, on, major oceans on both sides of us. or feel like we can be independent and isolated from the rest of it, whereas, like I said, you go to Europe and the countries are so close yeah, um, that there's a whole lot more travel in between, so much more history of travel in between. There's so much more colonialism that was in the past. So, you know, the the British are are so easy to go to India. They you know, do the Meshurs, do the Gunch and everything else. Because, right, it was a colony of theirs. They, they grew up, you know, that's in their history. Same with Africa. You know, they had roles in all of those country, major roles in all of those countries. Um, so I think we are. I think we're just more uh, isolationist than, uh, than most. Yeah. And the side is... You know, generally we're you know kind of one of the, the wealthiest countries out there. You would think that we've got the resources to do it, and that's what's holding back people from those other countries from doing it. But uh, yeah, we don't seem to travel as much and do the adventure fishing as much as as the people in Europe and in some of the other yeah. countries.
0: Well, I kind of got that? <clears throat> I kind of got that. Uh. uh impression on my recent travel or it seemed like there's this idea that like the american guys like are more willing to throw cash around so i was like maybe it's not a money thing but then again like i don't know I i also think we're just so spoiled here with things that you know i and my wife i know if she ever listens to these she's gotta laugh because (laughs) she's uh, like a financial guru like i'm talking about (laughs) like a like this, like this walking computer of like analytical number crunching and stuff. Me, I'm just like, if I see it, I want it. And I'm going to go get it. I've I've tried to really be more reining that back. And like, I'm telling you, I like, I talked to so many guys who, you know, may not make six figures, it's a big whoop-dee-doo, but like, are you eating out? How many, how many, how many days a week at work are you going and eating out fast food? Um, are you smoking? Are you drinking? Are you buying snacks? Like a bunch of nasty snacks when you're going fishing. Like when you really start crunching all the frivolous crap we spend money on, it was shocking even to me that, um, and the thing, you know, what I've been telling guys lately is like, look in your garage right now at how much crap you probably have collecting dust that if you just sell it, would probably at the very least pay the expense of the flight to the place you want to go most in the world. Sure. And um I think that's a lot of it too. It's like we like our things and it, it's like our things sort of I don't know, man, it's like it becomes like this this cozy comfortable captivity that you live in. It's like I'd rather spend $6,000 on this piece of electronics to go on my $70,000 boat rather than be like David and fish out of a damn canoe (laughs) and then have that (laughs) money to go somewhere else. But uh yeah, I think that's that's gotta be part of it.
1: I agree. Um and I'm not ragging on us. It's the same thing. You know, like if I say, well your nations travel more, uh so be it. Uh but we are I mean to your point, we do like to live comfortably. Um we're a very commercial society. It's just the way it is. Um but if you travel, you see how other people live. If you're mentioning mm-hmm. the clutter in your garage, they don't have a garage. You know, there's right. no clutter. They can't afford any clutter. But you know, that's <laughs> the point. They're they're very happy and everything else. And you strip away all that stuff, and you're really not missing out on much. But and once again, it that's you know goes on a tangent there. But uh, but yes, if if people really want to do some of these trips or some of these adventures, I think you do. I think you prioritize it and uh, and you budget for it. And, you know, you make that a goal and, and simply make it happen. And I think if more people did it, they would really appreciate the experience just yeah. seeing how other people live. <laughs> your point, so like you said, the clutter in the garage or in the house and everything else, see how other people live around the world appreciate more of what you have and maybe appreciate that you don't need to have more. You just need to kind of have your focus on the things that are important to you, whatever they might be.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll say like, I think I was open enough to like what I would get out of like my recent trip. But I do think most of my ambition was to go there and catch big fish. Like that was like, that was the purpose of the trip. The purpose was to go catch big fish. Um, and you know, people are saying, like, Oh no, just make sure you soak it all in. And it's like, you know, you, you get told that. Uh, but I, I, I will tell you like, that was my biggest takeaway was not some of the fish that I caught in South America. It was really like, to your point, interacting with different cultures, different communities of people. I'm like, this is like, I like, I don't know, man. It's like, it, it, now that I've done it once, it's like, it has like infected my mind. To the point is like it's all I can think about. So I think a lot of people just have to break through that initial wall of just biting down and cannonballing in, even if it means being a little reckless. But um, but anyway, I know a guy like you. In fact, I think I might have been one of those people messaging you in the past, pestering you. But I'm like, a guy like you probably gets a lot of a lot of messages from people who are, I'm interested in doing this. How do you how do you do that? It's such an open-ended question. It's not like it's one of those things people ask. That's like I don't, you know, I don't know what to tell you other than get money and go. But uh, like real advice, though, solid advice. Let's say you've got a guy who has the money in hand um, and is ready to book. Like that part's done. The decision, like the the mind, is where it needs to be. Um, But as far as like planning, any kind of advice, I think. It's probably changes based on upon where they're going. But let's say a guy like you who's been to uh, Argentina and somebody's got this like it's been their dream forever to go there. Like what advice do you give somebody uh, preparation wise uh, gear, like gear preparation, things that they need to be mindful of in country? Um, Just just like genuine advice that you could give to an angler that's maybe, maybe it's already booked and like, and there's actual itinerary already in place and they're going like the kind of advice you'd give it to a guy that's going on their first trip on things they need to be mindful of.
1: Yeah. I, um of course it depends upon where they're going and what species they're going uh, to be fishing for, but provided that I've been there, then yeah, I think you can really simplify it for them just breaking down each element of it. So the rods, reels, the lures. But I think that is. So I think the most important thing out of, of that whole process is getting in touch with the right person. Mm. So you mentioned that you may have contacted me, messaged me in the past. I don't know if I want 100 other people contacting me on every single trip they go on. <laughs> <I know>. but, <laughs> but, that, but that seriously is. That's that's the best resource. And that that's always been the case. So it, it's typically before you book a trip, Finding a personal reference who's already Mm -hmm. done the trip. So if if I'm a new trip, a new location, and there's I've got it, and I'm going to do it somewhat through an outfitter, I'm asking that outfitter for references, and I want at least three, and I want to talk to at least two of them and get their take on it because outfitters have a different view on things, and uh, and maybe they're not trying to be dishonest or anything else, but maybe they typically remember. When things go as planned or an average week or a good week, and that's the information that you get from them, you know, as a general matter. References, you get to find out how they enjoyed the experience, things that were good, things that were bad, uh, whether they went bad for any given reason or not, water levels, weather, or, you know, equipment, boats, motors, whatever that may have been lodging food all that stuff kind of plays a role in it so if you can get references that's i mean you're way ahead of the game um so to your point somebody's already booked it if you can find somebody online who's done that trip before yeah you send out the uh, cold call message to them on facebook or instagram or wherever it might be and say uh, a short message you know would you mind you know uh, taking a couple minutes with me um And if the person's not, I wouldn't take, I wouldn't either. I would make one form email that I'm going to send out to a number of people or keep it short because, you know, why go through the effort if the person's not going to respond to you and not that they need to. But that is, that's your greatest resource, Uh, an actual person who's done the trip previously. And then I would take whatever they say with a little grain of salt as far as on the actual tackle side. I'm more interested in kind of water, water depths, uh, conditions generally. Um, even the lodging side food, I like to know food is never, you know, a make or break if I'm going to yeah. a location, <laughs> I'm going to location, but it's kind of nice to know if you're going to a nicer place, you know, do they do laundry once a week? So it cuts down on how much clothes you bring. Yeah. Um, and you know, is there any electricity Are there generators, you know, so what to bring, not to bring, if you're not going to have any electricity, then, you know, you, need, you know, spare batteries to, to last you the entire week or you're just not bringing the stuff. But that's your greatest, greatest, greatest resource is uh, somebody who's been there before. And then, like I said, if they're willing to really, you know, sit down with you or have that lengthy telephone conversation, that's golden. That's that's as good as you can get. Because emails, too, you kind of get lost in a little bit or sometimes you feel bad about, you know, sending responses back and forth. If you got a telephone conversation, it's a quick back and forth or, you know, hey, can we back up? You know, explain that a little bit further. Yeah. But that's what I would say. Otherwise, it's simply getting comfortable with the idea of travel, making sure you have all your documents, making sure you have all your inoculations, uh, looking up online, your basic, you know, packing lists, you know, what you need as far as, you know, um, know, just general stuff. So, you, you know, uh. All the obvious things, but just make sure that you've checked the list on all of them. So, you know, whether that's your, your sunscreen, your uh, hydrocortisone, uh, your Ciparose, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some type of bandages, some type of, you know, super glue, whatever. If you get into a, a situation, you can kind of mend yourself, put yourself back together. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> thanks.
0: Those are always good tips. Now, yeah. I think uh, the networking thing has probably been pretty invaluable to me. Um, you know, I I don't know, man. I I've always been humble enough to like be able to like seek answers from somebody else and not, you know, pretend to be Mister Know It All. I mean, that's the that's the best you can do is just ask other people. I'll say, I you know, I was all about asking people who've been where I want to go, and they may have saved me from, you know, if I ask eight people about going to Guyana. And, and six out of the eight say, Hey, you need to steer clear of this operation that, you know, it's not to say that I wouldn't have a good time there, but it's like enough of a red flag to be like, okay, I that's, that's, that's good to know. There's, there's enough of a common theme here where like the, the negative stories are in in line and consistent enough that maybe I need to reconsider this person as an option, not to say that you can't go with, I don't know, an outfitter or, or whoever, and have a great time. But, uh, I think that's a big one, especially guys that are willing to divulge. I have found most guys are pretty willing to, to answer simple questions. so long as you're, I don't know. I think you can read when somebody's genuine and really has interest. Obviously you don't want to lead somebody astray, but yeah, I think that's probably maybe the most important thing. Like you said, uh, uh, reaching out to people that have already done it, networking with people that are going, but a guy like you, I know, occasionally i see you make these posts um and i was I, I was like in the past never been ready to like be part of it but like you know it's like hey we're putting together a group uh of five people to go right. to x country um and, you know you look for these people that are gonna join a group uh kind of pool together so you ever get people who show up i don't want to say ill-prepared but blatantly like not prepared for what they should have brought. Is there like a common theme with people that you've observed that showed up ill-prepared, like maybe they were over-geared, under-geared. They only focused on bringing the fishing stuff and not those little things you wouldn't have necess- necessarily thought to bring.
1: Yeah, I would say uh, people are typically not over-geared. They're typically under-geared, mm-hmm. uh, in, in my view but no, if I, you know, most of my trips, I just do it with, with a, a buddy or two, uh, yes. kind of a core group. I, I don't generally seek out an entire group. Why I do that sometimes is it basically a camp or location takes a certain number of people per week. So mm-hmm. they basically need six people in order to do the trip. I have found that if I simply do it with a buddy and we're a group of two and there's four other people from somewhere else or six other people from somewhere else if it's a group of eight, especially if they're from a different country, um, you potentially get a different treatment um, and then you're in the minority on it. Yeah. <laughs> so if, if <laughs> the trip requires a certain number, I want to tie up the camp and I want to make things, you know, even across the board for everybody who's on the, the trip. So if there's a better guide, if there's a better boat, if there's whatever it is, Everybody shares equally in what that is. Everybody shares equally in all the information, same thing. So if I'm putting together a group, I'm doing a group page once we've booked and everybody's communicating, everybody's getting the same information. I'm sharing everything that I know about the location, the gear and everything going to your point. So so long as everybody's taking my advice, they should have at least decent gear. I also tell them, feel free to, to vary from what I'm telling you yeah, you know, if you have favorite lures or you like to fish a different way, because I never claim to right to know everything about anything. Right. So, you know, that must be a great thing. Somebody brings something, you know, you know, just kind of out of left field, but it works or it's very successful. So that's fantastic. But then to your point, you know, what's my experience? Funny story. And somebody's ill so prepared. You know, we had a guy come to the Amazon and he didn't have any pants with him, just shorts. <laughs> no boots, or else, just Crocs. And this was a trip to Colombia where we were told we were hiking, you know, into camps where we would spend a day or two, you know, in the bush. So, you know, these were multi-hour hikes. So he had to borrow somebody else's pants for when we did that. Um, <laughs> you know, oh, crazy. Man. I've been on so many trips, same thing, other trips where, guys, it's the first day you're going to, like, jump off from wherever the international you know, airport was in country. To mm. go inland, and they say, "Wait, can we stop at a grocery store? I need to get some sunscreen or some insect repellent." Well, you know, those are some of those critical things that you'd need for a trip. <laughs> yeah, have those with you. What if, right, what if there wasn't a place that was open? What if we were leaving at you know whatever it was four in the morning to go you know ten hours by vehicle to our camp? You were going to be without sun, you know, sunscreen or insect repellent. But I've I seen that multiple times, and I just always kind of shake my my head at that i could see if somebody simply kind of oh i thought i had it packed but you know these were clear and obvious just no i didn't bring any but now i've decided that yeah it's awfully sunny out here near the equator um uh, maybe i should have some
0: sunscreen the crocs that one gets to me yeah. just, oh, yeah. i am like i am like anti-croc no offense to anybody that wears them but i'm just like uh I I just don't know what the what the benefit of them is, other than they're made of rubber and you can get them dirty and spray them off and they're easy to clean. But it's I don't know yeah. where the Croc thing has gone crazy. Every other angler I see in Florida is wearing these dang Crocs. I don't trust them. I uh, won't I fish with somebody that wears Crocs. But uh, um, Very- <laughs> it's it's good though. Like <clears throat> I know when I was. You know, I was analytical enough, I think in my preparation, but it's like, you know, when you're, when you're preparing to go on a trip, it's like, you look really hard at like your rods, reels, line hooks, terminal tackle lures. But I feel like you have like, let's say for you, for instance, you can't speak for everybody else, but I know you can speak for yourself and you've been around. Is there a certain, certain like tools or things that other people might not think about that you like i will not leave home without these essential items that maybe some maybe somebody wouldn't have thought about whether that be medicine a medical kit something something like that
1: yeah i would probably say yeah, a, a broadband antibiotic so something like a cipro or something it's just one of those things If if you're gonna get sick you wanna kind of Uh, shorten that that process as much as you can so that i've always got with me the same thing just the the super glue just you know for cuts and everything else you know just in case uh it tends to be in the jungle things don't heal you get so much moisture and everything else um anything else Uh, here a very simple thing uh like uh propel or something like that uh something with uh you know that's going to replace you know your sodium that you're going to lose and, and everything else. So uh, you know Gatorade supplement those types of thing powders that you can put in water. Um, uh, you know, yeah, that's water, a good one. Water dropper contaminated water. You know, you just never know what kind of you know water you're going to get, what those conditions are going to be. So that's real important. Um, but otherwise, no. I guess I've got kind of a just my basic tools that I kind of bring with me on on all the trips and then. And like you said, the terminal tackle and the lures change from uh, location to location, species to species. But no, there's there's nothing that I could say. Like my Swiss Army knife, I got to have it because it saved my life so many times. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's not the case. But yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a tool tools, I think, help out quite a bit.
0: Yeah, that was a good one that you mentioned. Actually, I'd, I'd done the same thing. My wife had sort of insisted that I pack them. Uh, they were like... Uh, God, what are they? They're like, uh, you know, something you put in your drink that helps with, yeah, but the electrolytes. I couldn't come up well, with yeah. and, I
2: couldn't and, and think of the damn name, the name of it. Didn't. Yeah,
0: yeah, they didn't, they that's didn't. The electrolyte replacement stuff. People even
1: bring like Pedialyte stuff. Um, but yeah, something along those lines. Very important, so you don't yeah. cramp up everything else. Um, and if you do that, that will alleviate it pretty quick. And that's yeah, that's across the board in in any hot location.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll say like, even, even my fishing here in Florida, it's like always been my Achilles heel It's like, I'll get so singularly focused on the fishing that I will go an entire day without drinking water or eating. It's like, it just slips my mind. And I'll say like my first day in, in Guyana, just my, my, my trip. Um, I, I did that. I like spent the whole day. Just, I was so excited to be where I was everything. So new that I didn't hydrate properly. And that first night of sleep, was a horrible experience. It was yeah. god awful hot. I, I was having full body cramps, like my legs were seizing up. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I got to make water and hydration a priority here. But the electrolytes thing was like a lifesaver. I had like a whole pack of them in my camera bag, so we were just like putting that stuff in all our water. And that's yeah. like, you know, it's one of those things. I think people, you you can really screw your trip up. Like you get all the way there and get sick or get all the way there and have some medical issue and like, you know, everything comes crashing down. So
1: no, it's it's absolutely the case. And typically on, on the more remote trips, there's always a weight limit. So it's, you know, you can't pack everything that you want, but, but that's an important one and it weighs nothing and it takes up no space. So yeah, that's, that's a big one. Same thing, you know, a small thing, earplugs. So if you're a light sleeper, Mm. Um, and there's enough noise around camp, whether that's generators or just the sounds of the jungle or or somebody snoring next to you, earplugs can go a long way as as well. Yeah, (laughs) it's kind of of stupid things you'd never think of, but yeah, they're handy to have on location.
0: Well, those are all good things. And if there's anything we that pops up that we can touch back on, we can we can do that. But I want to like kind of dive into your travels, you know what I mean? We've sort of established you're this guy that travels, but with nobody that's listening. a lot of people have probably seen your stuff, uh, but I I am curious because you've been able to really like catch all these all these just bucket list fish. You know what I mean? So you've been able to sort of measure. And again, a lot of this is opinion based, but I'm I value your input. You know what I mean? Like you're 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 a guy who I'm like that's that's what I want to do. Like that's a path that I want to follow. But I'm curious. For a guy who's traveled... I don't know how many countries, by the way. I'm just curious. How many countries have you traveled to?
1: I have no clue. Haven't I haven't even I, counted. No, more well, than I, 50? I, I, I'm guessing, but I, I, I don't know. Probably more than 50. I've done all the continents except uh, Antarctica, and I don't know of any good fishing in Antarctica. So yeah. at least <laughs> I, can, I can cross off the, the continents.
0: Uh, well, a lot then. Uh, well, I guess continents would have been easier than countries. Starts getting a little mixy there. Is there a species? I'll say, you know, we'll start with freshwater because you know I know you do saltwater, freshwater, and you've caught a lot of the big, obvious, showy ones. Is there any species that you've caught in any country? It could even be here in the US, that has surprised you the most as far as how challenging it was to catch, maybe how hard it fought. Um, uh, just like wow, like I really did not expect. This species to be so tough to catch, or 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 to give me this much difficulty.
1: Yeah, on the freshwater side, uh, I mean, nothing comes like strikingly to mind. But I would say giant snakeheads you know, over mm. in Asia uh, much more difficult than uh, than probably most people think. Um, it's almost more like musky fishing. It's a lot of casting for very few. Uh, possibilities of strikes and then landing fish. Uh, once again, and they fight extremely hard. Maybe you know harder than you would think. So that's kind of a, a species that that stands out. But uh, oh, fighting very hard! I guess you know the Papa Black Bass, uh, New Guinea Black Bass. Uh, but those I knew. You know, if, if you look up any list of the top ten hardest fighting freshwater yeah. fish, always near the top. But that was reinforced, you know, when, when we actually did it, um, by far just one of the fish with, with the greatest pulling power out there, and where you catch them is very close to snags. So very difficult mm-hmm. fish to actually hook and land, and same thing, not a lot of opportunities at them. So challenging fish, I would say, uh, so that's Papua New Guinea. Um, Yellow-cheek carp uh, in China and Asia, same thing, very difficult fish to catch. Very, very wary fish especially when they get to their top end size. Um, just a very wary fish. Um, on the flip side, you know, fish like an Arapaima just don't fight very well. You know, I, I equate them more you know, like with an alligator guard. They grow really big. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're so cool, but there's, you know, there's not that much fight. You know, you're usually... Yeah.
0: I wonder if I told a, you that.
1: John boat, but yeah, uh, you know, they they pull you around. But of course, if you got to, hundred to three hundred pounds of body mass you're going to do it and nothing to take away from the fish it's a yeah. spectacular fish and i think everybody you know if you can you know, go experience it but mm. you might if if you had inflated what that fish was potentially going to be it could be a bit of a, a letdown yeah. on the actual uh, bite and the endurance and everything else they jump and thrash which is spectacular the locations where you catch them can be just gorgeous Um, so all of that is, is on the plus side, but if we're going to take the opposite of something that shocked you in a positive way, something that shocked me, you know, it's not as fighting so hard would be the the aeropon.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. You mentioned that. I wonder if I said that to you, I almost didn't want to bring that up, but that was sort of my experience. Granted, I've only caught one, but, uh, my brother and I, like, I remember thinking like, you know, I have dreamt of this fish since I was you know, in like the fourth grade, Uh, I mean, like obsessed over the idea of catching that specific fish was like the reason to go to the Amazon for so long. And uh, yeah, I was just like, oh, you know, uh, it was still an amazing thing to hold and appreciate like, you know, the the prehistoric features and just it as an animal and what it represented to me, like the nostalgia behind, you know, physically manifesting this moment but the fight i was just like "Eh." i actually think maybe and it could be the river element or like the main body river element i was like i I think some of the like alligator agar i've caught may have even pulled harder than this thing
1: that was kind of a
0: like a big slug
1: i I would call it a tie is what what i would call it uh, but maybe, yeah, maybe. And then on the flip side, so I do. I, I put those very much in the same category, and in the same category as being just so unique and yeah. just amazing fish, just in their anatomy and everything else, and their right their their history, of being incredible. Uh, and then you know the third one would maybe be the white sturgeon, but they actually fight hard. You yeah. know, I think they've got a to lot. Say my of sturgeon hit my ass. <laughs> Yes, you know, I I did them not that long ago after not having fished them for many years, and mm-hmm. did them on the Fraser last. And same thing, we had heavier gear, and when that fish was under the boat, and decided that it was going to continue to go, it was going to continue to go. You know, it wasn't. Yeah. I'm going to stop <laughs> this fish. We're going to get this fish on film, and we're going to end it here. No, you know, so uh, maybe three fish close in that category, but I would say yeah, the fight the on the white sturgeon. um yeah, you know, they still they still have it uh, along with the other features. Uh, yeah. Size, thickness and history, longevity of, of that species.
0: My sturgeon that I caught, I caught on spinning. I actually caught it on pretty much the same gear that I've caught all my alligator gar uh, in the air pima on. Uh, so it's sort of like at least I'm using the same hardware, essentially. I mean, I I'm not ashamed to say it. that was probably the closest I've come in a long time to literally asking for help. i can't do it it i I cannot ask for help i'll never live it down (laughs) if i ask for help it got bad and we're fighting it from the shore so it was like a little bit it was tough i'm like we can't go after it yeah i mean i think a little bit of that is them getting the current behind their shoulders like they're in these bigger rivers but uh i was astonished at the power that that thing had it was brutal
1: yeah they got a lot of power that's that's a great fish
0: But uh, yeah, the, the, uh, the, the, what are they called? Papua black bass, New Guinea bass. Is it the same thing?
2: It is. Um, And that seems to be be
0: consistently with some of the guys that I've talked to that have, that have traveled. Like that one's always one of the ones that people mentioned. Um, When we were in Guyana, this group from, from Taiwan was there group of guys and they were all, uh, they were all like gloating over those fish. And I'm just like, yeah. I wonder, like, I mean, it looks like almost like a little Kubera or something, like a little, yeah, I mean, they look like Snapper or something, but. Uh,
1: they are, they are. And that's because the, we had always referred to them. And that's just, I believe the American name or whatever English name for them is right. They would call them right. Pop and black bass or New Guinea black bass, but no, and now they've started to change it to New Guinea black snapper hmm. um, because it is, it's, it's, it is a snapper. Um, you know, they haven't done enough research on it, but I know that they have indicated that some of those fish go out to the ocean to spawn. But I also know of populations way upriver, obviously fresh freshwater, where they could not possibly get back to the ocean. So those fish are reproducing, you know, in fresh water as well from whatever, what I can surmise, but it is, it's in the snapper family. So that's what you're dealing with. You're dealing with the snapper, typically in a river setting with a lot of wood. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And a fish that right is just very difficult to turn on a dime uh, with your with your gear. So that was that was the old story. It was really the Australians who would take advantage of that fisher. Obviously, Papua New Guinea is is very close to them. Mm And so they would go across. But the the old story was they would take their, you know, 5,500 Abu Garcia's or 6,000 or 6,500 Abu Garcia's. And then take a, take a pliers to the drag and, you know, totally tighten them
2: yeah.
1: down. Um, and then they would still get, you know, spooled and everything else. But, uh, yeah, very hard-fighting fish. They, they live up to their reputation.
0: Yeah. Now, I know this one's pretty much, I don't want to say it's impossible to answer because some fish are bigger than others. But it's like, is there one for you that sort of stands out as? Yeah, I I guess the easiest question is like is like the strongest fish, the most powerful. Let's just say pound for pound, or not even pound for pound, just sheer power. Is there one of them that's like has separated itself in the pack? It's like, man, these yeah. these got to the, be him.
1: The the pop and black bass are are right up there, but I would say a lot of the catfish species. So the you know the Mekong giant catfish from from Asia, or the Paraiba lao lao from mm-hmm. South America, just a lot of power. Praeva have more speed than the Mekongs. Mekongs probably have more power overall and so much endurance Then on top of it. You can just tell, I mean, the shapes of their bodies, how big yeah. their tails are. Um, so it really goes to the catfish species is is what I would say. Um, and I, like I said, I don't know if that's pound for pound. It's so hard to, to then... Do yeah. those just but just overall fish fighting the hardest big catfish is what what i would say
0: yeah well with any luck i may find that out firsthand in march i should be in Good suriname way. um for the lao lao that one eluded me and guy on my brother got one about yeah. a 70 pounder so that one was giving him some trouble um so with any luck i'll I'll get to find that out firsthand, but very exciting. You know, it's, yeah, it's just one of those things you want to know about. It's like, ah, you're a guy that's been able to actually measure a lot of these. Um, but you've also gone to some, some areas that are like, I don't want to say obscure, but it's just like, wow, like, like the tiger fish comes to mind. Um, you know, you wonder, okay, so there's power. And then there's, I think, I guess you pretty much already answered, which has been more difficult. Maybe the snakehead. Um how about terrain wise? Is there like a location that's kind of maybe pushed you a little bit further? Just as far as like, like not even the fish, just the environment and just the ambient experience mm-hmm. that's been like, gosh, this is brutal. This is a grind.
1: Yeah. Um any of those really hot jungle locations can be that way, but I would say probably Borneo. Borneo mm-hmm. is the location where actually the uh, fishing partner that I went with, he nearly died, uh, on the way back. So just total heat exhaustion and everything else. And I mean, to an extreme, not where like he was simply feeling bad, but that was, yeah, that was a grueling one. And that was right. You know, that's one of those trips where it takes four days, four days plus to get into the location, um, where you're cutting your way through areas, uh, in the boat, and then you're hiking through swamps. um, your hydration is probably a little bit limited because you can only pack in so much water and then the heat and everything else. And then right on the way back out when you're drained that much more where uh, you can run into a situation like that. So that was scary. Um, we uh, we had a couple of guys with us, locals, and uh, they were fantastic, but didn't speak any English or so very little. And I actually, on the way back out, I was ahead on the hike and it was supposed to be a couple hour hike. And I had seen my buddy Jim kind of fall off a log. He was trying to stand a log instead of being the marsh. But he said he was fine and I went ahead. And then, long story short, we had to go back for him. And he looked like hell when, when I got back to him. It was still going to be another hour hike out. But he said, yeah, he asked his guide if he was going to die out there because he cool. just felt so bad. And the guide looked at him and said, yes. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think the guide understood what he was that asking. That
2: answer. <laughs>
1: but it didn't make my buddy Jim feel any better <laughs> when you seriously ask somebody, a local. No tip. No tip.
2: And, they, and they don't
1: hesitate and say yes. <laughs> so, you know, it's humorous <laughs> now. But the bad part was that... Uh, You know, I had fished with this guy for quite a bit and everything else. His mom had actually uh, sent me a friend request on Facebook. So I had accepted (laughs) it. It's out of whatever kindness and everything way back when, before this trip. But when we were trying to get him out of there, I was thinking, if he dies, when I get into cell rank, am I going to have to communicate with her on Facebook Messenger to let her know that her son is dead in Borneo to make those arrangements? you know, to get him back. So just, you know, one of those weird experiences and, and obviously it, it turned out fine, Yeah. but no, that, that was a more grueling one. And, and those things can happen and same thing. And, and you get dysentery and locations and everything else. And, and that, you know, makes you feel terrible and you can't, it's hard to kick that and everything. So mm. those, things, those things come up on trips.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, you know, not to laugh at the situation. It's uh yeah. Well, you know, you you- to, yeah, you can't after the fact that's, yeah. uh, it's, you know, we had touched on it earlier. Where I was asking if you'd had any uh, like ho- we use the term horror stories. And again, I know a lot of that can be a perception thing. Um, I've been in situations where. Yeah, I don't know. It's like you, when the difficulty comes knocking at the door, it's almost like you have a choice between letting it like consume your mind and like letting like you're just all of your attention and energy go into fretting over the difficulty of what, like what didn't go to plan. And it's like, your mind will conflate it and make it worse than maybe it is. Um, But a lot of my stories that, that are my favorite moments that I've had in fishing sometimes involve the absolute worst shit. You know what I mean? It's like you almost like selfishly and maybe ignorantly want to have something to overcome. At least this is me. A lot of times I'm like, I'll approach every situation knowing, okay, something bad is possibly going to happen, and I think if you can like come to peace with the idea that like your itinerary might not be like the checklist mentality where everything's supposed to go according to according to plan. Some people, if the first thing doesn't go to plan, I forgot my pants. This whole trip's a waste. Everything's chaos. Um, You know, so I guess you know one person's horror story might be another person's awesome campfire story. So it's sort of perceptions. I don't know. Maybe some people just shouldn't travel, but uh,
1: yeah, I think that is the case. I think that's personalities, mentalities, um, how you deal with adversity and and your point on that. I think it is. I think it's people's personalities as well. How you deal with adversity. When, whenever I line up a trip and if I'm going to, invite additional people or or new people on a trip that's the most important thing to me is kind of the personalities behind it Mm -hmm. um because it can it can ruin a trip it's just like you said if you've got somebody who has the personality when one small thing goes wrong or even a big thing goes wrong and it's just going to be negative then throughout the remainder of the trip it's a it's a drag on everybody it's a drag on the trip and then it's a drag on the experience so to the extent you can vet people and find out that they have personalities and priorities that are consistent with yours and have the personality to do the trips and overcome some adversity, I think that's very important. From a planning standpoint, um, that's critical because there are things are going to come up. Um, nothing, you know, very few times does everything go according to plan. Um, so it's just a matter of how you deal with that going forward.
0: Yeah, well, is so long as it's not something catastrophic or life threatening, you almost should welcome the curveballs that get thrown at you and appreciate <laughs> the opportunity to like prove your resiliency. Yeah, I, I, get, I get the sentiment,
1: I, but but here I guess I'd almost and I I, I get where you're coming from. Yeah, <laughs> I would say I'm a little bit more the opposite way, especially if I'm the guy lining up the trip, then I feel more responsible. So yeah, I do. Yeah. I try to make certain that things get back in line and things go as well. You definitely
0: don't wish it upon your partners. Um, No. Yeah.
1: But but once again, if it does go wrong, then embrace it. And yeah, hopefully you can chuckle about it afterwards. Yeah.
0: We'll be capable to overcome it. I guess that's the thing is like your capability to overcome that stuff. There's a hardening process like you have to have experienced, I think, failure a few times in some capacity to be able to be like, okay, things aren't going the way they're supposed to. Let me reach into the archives. I've been here before. You know, you can handle it a little bit better. I just I think back to, you know, I don't want to throw people under. the. I just I've been on some trips (laughs) with some people that I thought had more fortitude uh than they actually did i matter of fact i was on an alligator guard trip this is like you know we we go on our own during the heyday of when i was doing that a lot and again you know you get these guys like oh take me oh i really want to go do this i'm like i'm telling you man like there's times where we are dying out there and it's not all catching and doing well and uh this trip was not going well especially for this particular person I mean, not going well at all to the point that he ended up booking an early flight out of there, gave mm-hmm. up on the trip. And we'd gone four days without even catching, like, and we were catching little, like mm-hmm. insignificant fish. And like the day after he left is when we found all the big fish. So I'm sitting here sending him the photos. <laughs> you don't <laughs> want to be that guy you just, you, you missed out. You right. lost out. Like your money's gone. But, um, mm-hmm. but anyway. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and I know I haven't talked too much on the <clears throat> saltwater side of things. You know what I'm interested in is, like, your travels, are they are they uh, prompted by business? Like, is there, uh, you know, I know you do a lot of writing. Um, you're very involved in, in publications and things like that. How much of what you're doing is... Um, it, 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 is that the purpose or how much of it is just like, I want to go do this. I'm like, well, what's the strategy behind this? Do you know like a year in advance where you want to go and when you want to be there? Or are these like assignments you're being sent Some, on?
1: Yeah. I don't know if it's 50, 50, 60, 40, you know, business personal 70, 30. I don't know what a percentage year to year that is. And then things come up last minute hmm. on the business side of it. Um, where somebody will have to cancel out somebody's sick or somebody can't make it, or there was a uh, scheduling, uh, somebody got double booked into a, a spot and then, then I kind of slide in there. But, uh, but there's always a couple that are on, on the personal you know, nature of it. And yeah, I would say about a year in advance, I've got a pretty good plan on where I'm going to be for the most part. Uh, some of them are kind of penciled in and then whether it happens or not, you know, that's dependent upon a couple other things I know that are up in the air. But otherwise, I, I got a pretty good grasp of at least, you know, half the trips that are going to take place or maybe a little bit more than that. Um So, yeah. So to your question, a little bit of both, a little bit of uh, business and, and personal.
0: Yeah, well, that's that's pretty cool. Now, like, you know, I I wonder if people Get this question. i'm trying, sometimes i ask questions on behalf of what i think other people are thinking but you've done these incredible trips and you've caught all these amazing fish and i encourage anybody to check out your your stuff on their own accord because it's just scrolling this list of uh dream fish but you know you you look at some of that and some people may wonder my thing is i, I think i know your the way you're wired and your genuine passion for fishing but is there any do you feel like you ever run the risk of like you know, you come back home to, I don't know, walleye, crappie, bluegill, smallmouth bass. Are those fish, like, are they enough? You know what I mean? Like, or has the experiences and going to these amazing places dampened the experiences in your own backyard?
1: Yeah, no, not at all. Not, I mean, not one bit. sometimes it's very odd. I'll go to a, very cool location. And I'm almost thinking, what am I missing back at home? Because it's yeah. <laughs> just hitting its prime. And not that I you know, regret one or the other. But no, I very much uh, enjoy and cherish the fishing that I have regionally around me. And it, it doesn't really matter. Of course, I would like to catch the biggest, hardest fighting species I can. And if you could do that all the time, then maybe that's great. But I get the same enjoyment and joy out of catching, you know, a species that's much smaller versus one that's that's mm-hmm. giant size. I enjoy catching bait in order to catch a larger species, and it's the same experience to me, um, which may seem odd to some. No. Um, but, not, but, but not to say that I'd simply want to catch a bunch of small fish. So if locally I've, I've got bluegills that go to 9 or 10 inches, I'm not going to go to a, you know, a lake that's got six-inch six bluegills and fish them for 10 hours straight. You know, there, there's no joy in that. But if I go to a spot where I know I've got a shot at, you know, a 10-inch bluegill and and most of them turn out to be smaller, well, then so be it. And if I just got back from fishing Golden Dorado in Argentina, well, that's fine, too, because I don't live in Argentina. So that's, you know, that's that's a once in a... Uh, whatever period of time several years that i get to do that and then i I probably cherished that more because of it Uh, but no i'm not one of those guys who could simply do three big trips a year and then the rest of the time i'm fumbling around with gear or doing something else i think it's just that it's the compulsion to be out there to have the experience go through the process and i really i I love the variety the the variety is everything
0: yeah yeah i think a lot of times when you're fishing it's like the experience transcends just the fish in a lot of ways. Anyway, it's the opportunity to get outside to stay grounded. And like, you know, I don't know, mean like I was, you know, it's funny. Like when I came back from Guyana, this is like, this was like the height of my, up until this point, it's like, this is, you know, I think these things exist in steps, but I was so eager to come home and just go into like the swamp. and just sit in my canoe and, Like, you know, I catch flack for it too. I think maybe, maybe me and you are like-minded as far as it's funny when you mentioned the bait thing, you know, you get the people that get on their high horse and they absolutely refuse to ever use bait. Like there is a difference between going and buying shiners and then going out and like understanding the ecosystem as a whole and how it functions. And you can get a real intimate understanding of how everything coexist with one another and how the food web in your backyard operates by understanding the food source and you do that by how you're going to harvest I mean I love doing the food chain challenge just by myself working my way up because I think you get a way better understanding on how that water system functions when you get to know the bait. And there's, so I, I I'm right there with you. I love going and harvesting my own bait and using that bait. And there's time, there's a time and place to really work for a fish and fool a fish with a piece of plastic or a piece of metal or a piece of whatever. It's also another time and place to just sit and stare at a stationary float for hours without losing focus. It's like, that is I try to tell I get these weird looks every time I tell people you'd be amazed how how that can actually be more difficult than yeah. the, the the styles of fishing that are more proactive I mean if I'm throwing lures and I'm really engaged in the process the whole time three hours can feel like three minutes if I'm mm-hmm. sitting staring can feel like a three three minutes can feel like three hours and I have to stay focused cuz the second i look up at that bird granted i i like to do that i like to look around you're going to miss sure. that moment but um yeah i'm always i'm interested like that that i actually almost had more interest in what you do in your own backyard and in your own free time than some of the travels i mean the travels are that's like the more sexy thing that's like the more awesome thing but um you know i always kind of wonder like man what is like steve's fish when he's at home is there certain species that again you know i th- i feel like people have their favorites but then people are like yeah. oh my favorite fish is the next one but um you know is there one that like you always kind of come back to and like this is this is my fish you know what i mean anything like that going on with you No i see a musky in the background i don't know if that has some significance no it's just up on the wall uh like <laughs> right. the
1: to be totally honest, no, I like them. I, I like them all, and I I like that we do have the seasons where they're <laughs> peaking at different times. So I think I do. I like the transitions in between the little yeah. forward that. Um, but no, and it's changed. It changes through time. It's you know, as a kid, right? I can recall when I really got into walleyes, and I think that was kind of kind of where fishing was at in the Midwest where I was. So is you know, that's where my focus was. And then you get into smallmouth bass and they're such a great fish and then big pike and then whether it's muskies and then you do more salmon fishing and more trout and then all the, you know, the panfish and the catfish and the bovine and the carp and the, and it just kind of goes around and around. So no, if, if there's one, and this will probably seem odd to most people, if there's one that I come back to is. Probably real big bluegills, but that's hard to say. It's not. It's not like a clear winner. I mean, I could say when brown trout are going. I I love pursuing big brown trout, but if I'm looking forward to when the musky bite's going to go, then that's you know that's where my focus is, and it's a great focus, and it's a hard fish to catch. And if I can't get big pike here, you know, then it's where can I go to catch them or Whatever the like, I said whatever that kind of next species is. That's kind of where my focus lies, and then that's where the enjoyment lies. Yeah, um but no, there's there, there's not one that's far and above kind of my my favorite on the local scene.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's always kind of a hard one to pick. I think sometimes, especially for guys favorite, that are multi-species people.
1: Yeah, that that is that's that's a real tough one.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I think a lot of American anglers are like they're just not at, at that point where going on something real like ambitious out of country with a lot of travels they may just have not quite gotten that point where that's not piqued their interest like, you know what that seems interesting but i'm not there yet and then you know when you really think about what we have here in the united states or just in north america i mean we've got we've got a phenomenal fishery a very diverse kinds of fish um so maybe like you know, somebody who does want to try something different. Are there certain species that you've encountered that may not be on the typical person's radar that they ought to take into consideration? I mean, you've got your big showy ones, like an alligator gar and a white sturgeon, but are there some, some fish that may not be on the radar for somebody that's open-minded enough to try something new that you'd be like, man, y'all need to look into, I don't know, these three fish, this, this type of fish may be in your backyard and you need to go figure out how to try to catch it.
1: Well, if you're just going to say across the country, then I would say probably down by you. And I think you may have covered this recently, but I think the diversity that Florida has on the freshwater side, mm. and the canals and everything else, is something that people should explore if if they're so inclined, but don't want to go out of the country more on a budget. So if you can do the butterfly peacocks, if you can do the clown night fish. If you can do the various guard down there, if you can do the various cichlids, the Mayan cichlids, you know, everything else uh, that it has to offer, I think that's uh, the snakeheads down there, of course. Um, otherwise, I would say, yeah, catch as many snakeheads as you can. You know, go and do the northern snakeheads in and, and Maryland and everything else. Um, I think that's a very unique one. And I think people would appreciate them more if they went out there and actually experienced them. Yeah. But but anywhere across the country in your backyard, it's hard to say. Maybe maybe seek out a new species and then spend the time to, to try to learn how to catch it. Um grass carp are a great one that kind of comes to mm. mind. Can be very difficult unless you've got them in an area where they're fed regularly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, scraps or bread or something like that. But that can be one that you know, that can take you down a certain rabbit hole. Um just to to learn the fish and you know get some level of success with them, but you know they're available in enough places. I mean, most people should, you know turn their heads at common carp. That's a very hard one to catch when they're big, where especially clear water. So I don't even know if I would send somebody down that that avenue. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would say pick a pick a species you haven't caught before that you know exists locally. Research it and. And figure out a way
0: to catch it yeah that's Um, all good
1: it'll it'll make you a better angler for for all species
0: right yeah for sure i mean i i think we should seize every opportunity to to test ourselves against as many different variables as possible i don't understand you know to each their own you know some people Mm -hmm. fall in love with a certain kind of fishing or a certain kind of fish and that's that's where their interest ends it's like that's the ceiling is there but um yeah i think the car well you know what what's good is i i think we're living in the culture shift right now where it's like more people are turning with open mind to fish like alligator gar long nose gar carp uh buffalo like things like that you're seeing a lot more so it's great i mean it's it's great to see that so i don't know you know we we spent a little bit of time kind of dogging on social media before i (laughs) before we started recording but if there is any silver lining um I I would actually credit a lot of that to uh, some of the growth in that because there's more communities around it, sort of building. People are seeing that it's not this weird thing. The snakeheads has become a massive growing culture. My goodness, I mean that one's exploded. Uh, yeah, that's
1: that's incredible. We uh, I can remember going down in the early 2000s down to Florida to fish the the bullseye snakeheads down there, and you know. On on good days, we'd have, you know, 30, 40, maybe more than that fish for the day. But uh, in anybody that saw you catch them wouldn't know what they were. Or if they did know, (laughs) they would say, you got to kill that thing because it's going to eat all our fish. So that's kind of the mantra down there. And now, right, now guys are so guarded about their spots because, right, they have become more difficult. Mm -hmm. They're more nourished and everything else. Um, So it is funny how things have come around. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah, the the northern snakeheads do. Hell, Florida's at a point now where, like, if something new shows up, people will accept it within days because it's all too far gone. There's monitor lizards crawling around. I got iguanas in the bushes in my backyard right now. It's like, I don't know. I think people here see something new as like a new thing to to try to catch, whereas like the northern snakehead's got a. Little bit more of a hill to climb, but even there, there's just like these massive interest groups. People are going crazy over that species of fish, like that's like the next big thing right now, it seems. Um, yeah, but yeah. I think
1: that got got overrun with the bow anglers and everything else, so I think that's taken a, a big toll on that population. Yeah. Up but otherwise, yeah, I think guys were really starting to enjoy you know catching and releasing them as a, as a sport fish but I think
0: that that population has taken a hit uh, yeah. because of that. Yeah. That one's uh it's a lot different than our snakehead. It's not even, it's almost not even comparable. The, that species like has like blooms. It seems like they, they show up at a new place. They have a, uh, an initial boom. And mm-hmm. then it's like, they just fade away. I don't know if it's like our native species adjust yeah. to them and start overtaking them. I know like where I've gone in Virginia, it's like, like the bass are starting to like blitz on the fry balls. Like everything's sort of learning like the blue catfish thing. There's out of control eating everything. Yeah. It's like, I, it's like, I don't know. It's like the snakeheads prevail when everything has to adjust to them. But once our fish do adjust to them and the bow fishermen and the other elements, I don't know, just doesn't seem like they can stabilize for some reason. It's like they have booms, they have like blooms, it's interesting fishery, but, um, Yeah, man. Well, listen, Steve, your, uh, your time has been valuable to me. You've been a, you've been a guy I've been chasing for a while. I'm like, I just, you know what? I'll stay patient. I'll keep ahead and I'll keep pestering this guy and wait for a window for, for, (laughs) for his availability. I appreciate you sitting, uh, sitting down with me though, to talk about some of this stuff. And you're a guy that I'll continue to, to, uh, reach out to for pinpoint, you know, for opinions on things or, or, uh, you know any tips or anything like that who knows maybe one day if you have a an opening in a group we'll 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 cross paths at some point but um you know maybe an inevitable thing because i'm like all about getting out there and trying new things now um but that's
1: fantastic i hope hope we can hope we can do a a trip together at some point and i think that's what it's all about i think if yeah people would would make the jump and, and just do one international trip um I think more guys would enjoy it and find the value in it, and I I think it's a real eye opener for just so many reasons. So, yeah, uh, glad you're able to do it. Hopefully, you're able to do a whole bunch more. Can't wait to hear the
0: stories. Well, well, I don't think I'll be able to do it as frequently as you, but I'm pretty content with doing them on the um, on the occasion. Gives me something to be um, excited about. Not that my fishing in my own backyard doesn't excite me plenty. But um, anyway, where can people go to see some of your uh some of your catches, see some of the stuff that you've done, whether it be i don't know Instagram, a website. how could yeah. they find you to see some of the stuff that you've got or to ask um, you questions about travel
1: yeah instagram or or facebook um and i can I can send you that stuff uh i do I'm probably a little bit more guarded on some stuff, so like on facebook uh most of my stuff I just share among friends, mm-hmm. although I've got Five thousand friends somehow, but uh, but yeah. I, I do tend to keep that on on a friend basis as opposed to a public share. But I throw the stuff up on some of the stuff on on Instagram. So either one, they can they can contact me there, and I'm, I'm more than happy to help out on on locational stuff and and everything else. Um, you know, general trip stuff. The thing that I don't do is just is kind of funny because we talked about just briefly before we got on. Is I'm not a big one to share. Like exact locations. Um, I just, I find no value in it. Um, yeah. I think it's great if people simply do their own exploring. I think if you put too much out there on a specific location, you're just going to wind up ruining the location. So it really does no good uh, for the resource or anybody else who's, you know, put in the time and effort to, to learn the spot. But just generally yeah, sharing information on, on doing trips and everything. Or if it's with an outfitter, and I've done the trip before, I'm more than happy to to help people out.
0: Yeah, well, that's always my favorite response I get if I post some some sort of unique catch that's got a, plenty of details in the captions. Uh, when somebody's response is simply "where?" question oh mark. My God. buddy. <laughs> oh my gosh! Block, but uh, totally get it. But yeah, that's the world we live in. It's easy enough to ignore. Sure. I feel like you can usually tell when somebody's genuine and authentic and and make smart judgment calls don't get burned we all get burned at some point but um but anyway man well you're easy to find you know what i mean like i said simple google search of any of your dream fish people listening are probably going to yield a couple of steve ryan photos articles are out there Um, You've shared the information already in many capacities, whether it be through uh, in Fisherman and some of the other outlets that you've um, written for. So I appreciate your time, Steve. Um, And and we'll be in touch about other endeavors. Got to pick your mind. I got a couple of upcoming trips that I may need some input on. Sounds perfect, David. Appreciate it. All right, man. Have a good one. You too. Bye now. Thank you for listening to boundless pursuit. Tune in each week as we bring stories and insight from uniquely talented anglers and outdoorsmen. And if you enjoyed this show, I want to hear from you. Be sure to leave a five-star review as this is going to drive the growth and exposure of this show. And if you have feedback or guest suggestions, I would love to hear from you. And you can reach me at boundlesspursuitfishing at gmail.com. For all other collections of media and contact information, please visit www.boundless-pursuit.com.